1965 and Franz Gall, Eurovision was more like a snooze fest than a rave party. Even if Margaret Hilscher felt a bit ravish in 1958 with a tiara and sash showing us her vinyl collection. But when the 17-year-old innocent French girl sang about her ragdoll, she took the world by storm and modernized the competition. Sadly, Franz Gall is no longer with us, so instead I have invited an expert on the subject for this special episode. I'm your puppet master, Emil Löfström, and this is Eurovision Legends. Welcome, my friend and Eurovision expert, Tobias Larsson. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. When I said that Margaret Hilscher is a bit ravish, do you think that might be a stretch? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, you see, I have, this, I have this blog where I write about the history behind all of the Eurovision entries from 1956 to 2019. And what I found about the old timers, the, like, the performers of the old days, is that their entries were often very toned down and very sort of family friendly, but they weren't. They, they, they were much more, you know, interesting and more vibrant than their entries. So I'm really, really glad if a bit of Margot Hilscher breaks through the screen and you sort of get the idea of the real her. She was she was a very interesting figure. I'm, I'm glad that we got a bit of madness in the 1958 contest as well. And I will post a, a link to your blog on our social media. It's in Swedish, but if I can use Google Translate, then so can you. Yes, and there's a button there, so you can have it badly translated into the language of your choice. Uh, through the Eurovision community, I've gotten to know many great people over the years, but also some not so great. Have you managed to stay friends with many other Eurovision fans over the years? I ask because it is such a small bubble with many fact queens and many opinions that they think maybe need to be aired. What can I say? Uh, my basic idea about that is that I like to be corrected if someone has a fact. If someone has an opinion, I'm not necessarily so much into that. But if someone actually can correct me and say that I know more about this, then I'm just glad because I can find out more and be sort of have more knowledge afterwards. Uh, but not everyone who claims to know stuff is a good source. There are so many rumors out there. And for instance, if you look around Wikipedia, you will find so many errors and so many things that are incorrect. So you really need to navigate. But you, you see how I'm not answering your question <laughs> if I stayed friends with people. It's, it's difficult. I mean, some people are easier to stay friends with than others. I mean, I can disagree a lot with some people and stay friends. And then there are some other people where there's a lot less room for that. That was a very diplomatic answer, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. And when I started the podcast Eurovision Legends, the goal was to find out the things that could not be Googled and try to make each program sort of a time capsule. 
many guests I have invited do not speak English at all, or not very well. And some are no longer alive. But hey, why should that stop me? So, Tobias, let's do a program about Franz Gall. I think that's an excellent idea. Who, who you happen to have a special interest and much knowledge about. Well, actually, to, to be to be 100% honest, I'm, I, I love French music and I love French pop music. And I especially love French pop music of the, of the 60s because that's a very interesting periods in 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 French pop culture because there there were so many things happening in France and the world and so many things changed so that makes it a very interesting time frame to to look at and France Gall is a very very good example of how the music industry worked not just in France but in general in the 1960s she's sort of a almost like a, a test map of things that could happen to a young artist who didn't have the means to to sort of control her own career at all. What uh, can you tell us about her childhood? Can you paint us a picture? Well, uh, she seems to have been a pretty pretty happy child. She grew up in a very musical family. Her father uh, was a musician. Her twin brothers were musicians. So uh, uh, she wasn't very good at school. I know that and she she failed lots of her exams because her father thought it was more important that she came along to see concerts. So she went to Olympia and saw Piaf sing live instead of reading up to her, to her exams. And if that's not a happy childhood, I don't know what would be. <laughs> so uh, to have understanding parents like that, that would sort of, you know, wouldn't be too hard on you if you don't succeed in school because i think that in the like we're talking the 50s early 60s here so i think at that time to find parents who would be unbothered by their child their children's lack of success at school that was very unusual because most parents would think that oh my child will be a failure if they don't succeed at school so I think that France Gall had a very unusual upbringing in that sense. And uh, her home was full of music. She had lots of influences. Her father was a big name within the, the jazz circuit in Paris. And so she had connections and she had good people around her. And she, she learned a lot through that. And I think that was very, very good for anyone with any sense of talent for music. She released her first single in 
Isabel Gall, but uh, Philips already had Isabel Aubre, who won Eurovision in 1962, so they couldn't have two girls called Isabel on the same label. This is how it worked. Uh, men could be called whatever they wanted to be called, but you couldn't have two Isabel on the same record label. So someone had to invent her uh, stage name, so the producer or her father had this idea of calling her France Gall, and she was actually named after a rub rugby game because France met Wales, which is Pays, Pays de Gall yeah. in France. So the idea was France Gall, sort of France versus Wales. So that was sort of an, an internal joke somehow. And France Gall didn't like this name at all. She was like, I'm, I'm Isabelle. And France, like the country, France, it's such a big name. How can I carry this? She was just a teenager. But with, with the years, she, she grew to like it and it became her. But it wasn't her in the beginning. She thought it was a little bit heavy, heavy to wear. But the first, the first single wasn't a huge success. It was a bit of a hit and got airplay and everything, but it wasn't, it wasn't until the second single that she really hit it off because the record label thought it would be a good idea to have Serge Gainsbourg write songs for her. You know Serge Gainsbourg. Of course. Yes, of course. And I suppose most people listening to this pod know something about Serge Gainsbourg because he was a legend. He wasn't at, at this time. He was a pretty successful songwriter, but a failure as a singer. So they thought maybe this, this meeting between this very innocent little girl and this pretty advanced songwriter, that that could bring something extra. It could be an interesting collaboration. And it worked. Already the second single was a huge hit written by Serge Gainsbourg. And from that moment on, France Gall was a big name on the French scene. She ended up representing Luxembourg in 1965 in Eurovision with a song written by Serge Gainsbourg. How did this come about? Well, she had had a few big hits in France and uh, Luxembourg, it wasn't so much the country Luxembourg that took part, it was the uh, famous international radio station, Radio Luxembourg, that wanted to be part. And even though they were a commercial station, not entirely legal in France, they could creep under the flag of Luxembourg and compete in this contest. So they just wanted a hit song to plug. Uh, like they wanted a hit song that they could launch. So they asked France Gall if she would be interested. And I mean, she had nothing to say. The record label said that, of course, of course she wants to do it. And then they had 10 songs to choose between and they went for Popie de Son, uh, basically because the um, collaboration between France and Serge Gainsbourg had been so successful. So it was a good idea to to sort of combine them for Eurovision. 
Can you share some information about the other songs? No idea. I, I don't. I have no idea if anyone even saved a list of the other songs. Um, I found out this very recently because there has been a lot of debate through the years whether uh, Luxembourg selected France Gall or if they selected Serge Gainsbourg. Uh, but in fact, I very recently found out that it was actually France Gall that they wanted and then they got Serge Gainsbourg, sort of two for the price of one. <laughs> The contest in 1965 was held in the Italian city Napoli since Gigliola Cinquetti won the year before with Nonoletta and it was 18 countries competed and I wonder who was considered a frontrunner before the contest? The UK, of course. The UK. Um, Kathy Kirby was a big name. She wasn't, she wasn't a huge commercial hit, but she was very well known and very respected and very appreciated. least sort of very good to work with. And uh, so she was one of the big favorites in France, of course, because uh, France and the UK were always successful. At first. So those were the easy ones to pick. And in these days, they didn't talk so much. The bus didn't arrive before the contest. It arrived after the contest. Sort of the speculation that went on. Uh, it was such a different climate. The, the, the journalists that were sent to Naples to, uh, to cover the contest weren't necessarily people who knew anything about music or pop music or or anything like this. They were just sent because they had the time or they wanted to have a free trip. So they weren't always able to to sort of predict the results in any credible way. So I would say that the UK and France were the big favorites and then probably people expected quite good things from Luxembourg because France Gall was a name. And the song Pupé de Song was pioneering for its time in Eurovision, but didn't it also represent so-called mainstream pop music that was played on the charts all over the Western world? Yes, but uh, that was the big thing, because Eurovision back in these days, it wasn't a pop contest, it was a family viewing program. And to be very blunt, in order to keep the family by the television, you needed to appeal to the fathers. Yeah. Because dad was in charge of what we're watching. And if dad doesn't like the show, he will turn the television off or change the channel in the countries where that was possible. Uh, so you had to appeal to the fathers. You couldn't be too youthful. And 
this was a bit of a revolution in the mid-60s, and France Gall was like a, a paratrooper here, because she just went in and did her youthful thing. And that was a little bit shocking uh, to many people. First of all, the song is a very straight-on, bang-on pop song, like we hadn't had many of those before. There had been pop songs before at Eurovision. That needs to be pointed out. Netherlands 64, for instance. Ik weet dat je liegt En dat je mij bedriegt Maar ik aanvaard het Want jij bent mijn leven Van al wat je zegt Komt er nooit iets terecht the UK 61 if you want to be really really nice <laughs> goodbye, goodbye farewell. farewell I'm not sure what to do so long so long au revoir it's hard but I'll pull through are you sure you won't miss up he comes tomorrow you won't want me back again to hold you tight but it wasn't, it wasn't a pop contest. It wasn't the context at all. To, and that's why the song has the intro that it has. Uh, now I can't remember, like, top of my mind, but uh, it's very inspired by a classical piece. Ah, you're thinking about the song uh, Beethoven's Piano Sonata Number 1. Exactly. Serge Gainsbourg included that specifically to include parents and the parental generation, that they could like something about the song as well, that it wouldn't turn them off, at least not at once. What did the musicians on site think about the song? I think about a classically trained orchestra, for instance. Um, well, what can I say? Um, the orchestra in, in Napoli, the, the, the um, Italian musicians, they hated this song. Uh, I don't know if they hated the song as much as they hated Serge Gainsbourg. There are very different accounts of how this happened. But Luxembourg came in for its first rehearsal. And then, to those of you who are not um, familiar with the 1965 contest, and I will forgive you if you're not, um, there were two so-called serious entries this year. Uh, both Sweden and Denmark entered very serious singers, like opera singers, with very sort of highbrow music and lyrics. And the musicians appreciated that very much. And then came Luxembourg with a little pop ditty, and the musicians hated it, and they they were calling Serge Gainsbourg names and they were whistling and they were, they were showing very clearly that they didn't appreciate this song at all. And as you said, you know Serge Gainsbourg, right? Uh, what's your idea of his temper? <laughs> what kind of person do you think? How, how, how open do you think Serge Gainsbourg was to criticism? Not at all. Not at all, exactly. <laughs> he told the um, musicians basically to F off in Italian, and then he left the stage, um, smacked the door, 
and left Franz Gall all alone with these angry musicians. And she was like really disturbed by that, that really uh, shook her. And because she hadn't been, she wasn't a very experienced performer. We need to remember that she had been recording quite a lot, but she hadn't been giving a lot of, like an awful lot of concerts. So that was sort of a bit of a new area for her. And then she had these angry musicians who clearly hated her song and perhaps hated her. And she had to navigate that herself. And she was just 17. We need to remember that being 17 in 1965 meant something very different compared to what it is being 17 today. When you were 17 in 1965, you were clearly a child yeah. still. Yeah. You were a minor, you couldn't take any decisions. You were basically a child. During the evening, she performed in a pleated white dress, a modern short blonde bob with a blonde fringe and a prominent black eyeliner, and mm -hmm. gave Eurovision probably the most modern performance it had ever seen. And she mm -hmm. was quite different compared to her opponents. Definitely, definitely. She was the least clean cut. She was, she was definitely youth culture. Um, no one else in the, I mean, she was the youngest participant. There were other young participants, but they had all sort of, you know, adapted themselves to the um, adult taste of the adult audience. While Franz Gall didn't give a toss. She just came in, she was whoever she was, and sang the way she sang, and looked the way she looked. And it was something very, very different. I mean, if you look at the 1965 contest now, what you will see is a nice young girl who is singing quite badly. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't sing well. The, the live recording is almost painful to listen to. And the reason for this Many Eurovision fans think that Franz Gall was a bad singer, and she wasn't. She was a um, limited singer. She, did, she didn't have a huge range, but she knew what she was doing. She knew how to work the things she had. But she, uh, she was so disturbed by the whole uh, fighting between her composer and the orchestra that she was so destabilized. Plus, she had a big row with her... Uh, secret boyfriend also at the time. Yeah, and wasn't he very upset that she sang out of tune? Let's establish first of all who this boyfriend was. This boyfriend wasn't some, uh, just some uh, Jean-Paul <laughs> that was waiting for her in Paris. One of the biggest male pop singers in France, Claude François. He was a huge star, uh, very successful and um, He was married to someone else, yeah. but he was still seeing Franz Gall. And uh, there was eight years of, of age difference between them. There were, um, he was 25, she was 17, and he was very much in control over her. He very much controlled her emotions. And if you know Claude Francois, uh, you will know that he was a very troubled person. He He's known as a, as a wonderful performer, but maybe not always a wonderful person. And my theory is that he felt very threatened that his little girlfriend was going on to become as successful as him. I think he saw a big threat in Franz Gall becoming too popular 
and uh, they famously had a fight after France Gall had sung. She called Claude Francois up, she wanted some consolation and some support, and he gave her nothing of the sort. He just told her how useless she was and how, uh, how bad she was. And, and then while they were talking, it became evident that she was winning. And then he told her, okay, you won the contest and you lost me. I'm breaking up with you. He hung up on her and she had to go on to stage and receive the Grand Prix. So it's easy to understand that she was like in a, in a state. Plus, there is another story that I, no one has ever explained it to me, but apparently from the moment um, they hung up the phone to the moment she enters stage, she also have a fight with Kathy Kirby, who has entered, who has ended in second place, and Kathy Kirby slaps France Gall over the face. Oh. Yes, so sad there was not a camera. And you know, how do you explain this? How do you explain that a grown woman gives a, a teenage girl a slap on the face? <laughs> that's not that's not usual. No. Um, so. So when she go, when she walks on stage, she's absolutely devastated, reduced to tears, and the press thinks that oh she she cries because she's so happy and she was anything but she was so unhappy because her boyfriend had broken up with her and uh, this other singer had molested her and you know it was a terrible spot to stand in really poor Franz Gall. Uh, this guy, Claude Francois, didn't he wrote a song about Franz Gall? He did, yes, a pretty famous song as well. Uh, the thing is that she went back to Paris and made up, and they kept on being an item for two more years. And then when they finally broke up for real, then he wrote the song Comme d'habitude, which was then translated by Paul Anka into English and became My Way by Frank Sinatra. So that song is actually written about France Gall. Toi, tu seras sorti, pas encore rentré, comme d'habitude, tout seul, j'irai me coucher dans ce grand lit froid, comme d'habitude, mais She's the inspiration for that, which is pretty nice, pretty nice, I think. You mentioned here before Casey Kirby, that ended up in a second place with uh, six points uh, less than uh, Franz Gall. For me, this is a no-brainer, but why do you think Franz Gall won? Because she was something different. It was time. It was, it was time. Uh, I mean, if you, if you look at the world of pop music, uh, the Beatles had conquered the world in 1963, and since then nothing was the same. And the Beatles also made pop music at least partially acceptable to the older generation. Quite a few older people could accept the Beatles, and then they could accept pop music and pop culture, and would allow their teenagers and their children to have a, cult, a youth culture of their own. But the youth culture had been kept out of the Eurovision Song Contest because 
as I said, they wanted to appeal to the family family viewing. Yeah. But it couldn't be kept back any, anymore. The music that had dominated Eurovision up until then was on its way out. There were so many, you know, very standard ballads, very sort of cabaret acts, and it needed something new. It needed fresh air, and France Gall was the one who provided that. Eurovision was also this contest where most of the singers sang songs they had not written themselves. And uh, maybe they didn't always have this big connection to the song they were singing. But the song Popé de Cire, Popé de Sang was actually written by Serge Gainsbourg after he had re read an interview with France Gall, where she said things like, it feels like I just stand here and sing about love without knowing what it is. Yeah. I don't understand love, and hopefully one day I will. And he wrote a song about that. So France Gall has said in interviews that when she heard Popé de Cire, Popé de Sang the first time, it was like, whoa, did I write this? Is this my, di is this my diary that someone put to music? Yeah, it was very much her. It was very close. It hit very close to home. And I think that that vibe set her apart from everyone else. What would you say this victory meant for the contest the coming years? A lot. If you, if you have enough time someday, if you have never done this, take out the 1965 contest, watch that in full, and then you watch the 1966 contest in full, and you will think that they are from different decades. Yeah. I mean, they're both in black and white, but there's such uh, a difference in tempo, in temper, in youthfulness. 1966 is the youngest Eurovision ever, like the youngest set of singers ever in, at, at, in a Eurovision final. And it's just a completely different generation and a completely different idea of what music can be. So it was a revolution, I'd say. Big, big, important revolution. The song Popé de Cire, Popé de Sang became a huge worldwide hit and sold over 500,000 copies in France alone. And several covers have been made as well. Um, Franz Gall recorded the song in French, Italian, German and Japanese, but never in English. Do you know why? I think her English wasn't good enough. I think that's the... <laughs> but her Japanese? the reason. Well, it was... A It was another thing, you know, if you had a European singer who tried to sing in Japanese, everyone was like, oh, she's trying to sing in Japanese, that's wonderful. Well, if she had been trying to sing in English, all the English speakers would have been like, oh, what a bad accent. Yeah. There's a huge difference in attitude there. So, plus, you need to remember that in 1965, English wasn't that important. It like, English wasn't the language that it is today. It didn't have the status that it has today. French was a, like at least as universal as English at the time. So I don't think they thought it, there was a need to record it in English. Kikeluwa Minna watashi no 
How did the collaboration with Serge Gainsbourg continue? Very well for a while. <laughs> and then uh, the thing is that it's it's a little bit sad because Franz Gall said that she was she was attracted to Serge Gainsbourg and his songwriting because he was giving her different ideas, different things to work with. And uh, it was challenging for her. But on the other hand, she said that she was a child. She was a, like a woman child who was very, very naive and didn't understand like double meanings and stuff. And um, so Serge Gainsbourg gave her more and more daring material. And he was, he made a name for himself as someone who wanted to shock his audience. So he wrote a song for France Gall, which is called Les Sucettes. Um, do you know the lyrics of this song? Yes, I know. Yes, but let me explain in short. Um, Les Sucettes, uh, that's sort of a, uh, une sucette, that's a popsicle. Yeah. This kind of candy that you lick on. Um, you, you eat it by licking it basically. And uh, this is a song about the girl Annie who loves these lollipops and who wants to have as many as she can. And she licks and licks until nothing remains but the little stick on her tongue. <laughs> and she loves it when the melted sugar runs down her throat. You know, it's pretty obvious what this was, what this is. And if someone was in doubt, when she goes to get more lollipops, she gets them f um, from the from the store and she pays them with pennies, um, which in French is pronounced just like something else. Yeah. And Franz Gall recorded this song thinking it was about a girl who liked lollipops. And it was recorded and distributed. She went on holiday and when she came home to read the headlines, uh, that, that was like a huge scandal, like a bombshell size scandal. And she felt so betrayed after that. She felt so like someone had used her and her simple mindedness just in order to sell records. And she never quite forgave Serge Gainsbourg for this. And after that, their collaboration started to derail. And uh, when their collaboration didn't work anymore, France Gall stopped having hits in France. Luckily, she had a German career. Um, at the same time as her career in France, she was recording completely different material in Germany. And she has said that even though her German material is silly, she liked that a lot more because nobody tried to put words in her mouth. She, she just did funny, simple songs that were funny, simple songs. And I can understand that sentiment. 
Definitely. Yeah, and great composers like Ralf Siegel and uh, Giorgio Moroder wrote songs for her to her German career. But I want to go back to Serge Gainsbourg because I wonder, would you say that he used her and took advantage of her? Oh yes, he definitely did that. I don't think, I don't think that he intended to hurt her feelings. That's, that's important to remember. Um, I think he was just following his instincts, that what do I do next? What, what is my next step from here? I mean, remember that he was invited to do the Eurovision Song Contest again in 1967 for Monaco. And then he wrote Boom Bada Boom, which is a song about how nuclear war will end humanity. <laughs> shock people, he wanted to shake people around and he had a deep friendship with Franz Gall, he meant a lot to Franz Gall and once she felt betrayed by him, uh, I, I think that he thought that she would find it as funny as he did, but of course not because she looked the fool, she looked like a, like a mindless little child who doesn't understand anything. Yeah, that was a very cruel thing to do. And I don't think that Serge Gainsbourg realized that he was being as cruel as that. Uh, he actually, he actually ruined another Eurovision performer's career as well. Dominique Walter, who represented France in 1966, he had too much of a clean cut image. So he asked Serge Gainsbourg to write him raise your songs. So he wrote really nasty songs for him, full with full of bad language and misogyny, and uh, the audience hated it. And then he lost his recording contract and his career was over. So Serge Gainsbourg was a very gifted songwriter, but he wasn't always the nicest person. He was, above all, nourishing his own career. And I think with Franz Gall, it was the first time that it came into a conflict between him and the singer. And I think that he regretted it. He remained a friend of Franz Gall and he was a close friend of Franz Gall's husband, Michel Berger. And he expressed regrets in the 70s, that he wished he hadn't done that. Then in his later years, then he did this regularly. He made a career out of trying to shock people and tell people unpleasant things, especially on live television. He loved doing that. But in the 60s, he was a sensitive guy still. I think he was still a sensitive guy in the 80s, but he was a bit ruined by then. But I don't think he meant to take advantage I've heard that she refused 
to sing any of her songs written by Serge, including her Eurovision hit. Yes, for many, 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 many years, for almost 30 years. The thing is, she met Michel Berger, her future husband, in 1973. They recorded their first album together in 1974, and that was for her a rebirth as a singer, because for the first time she was in control of what she sang, how she was presented. She could say yes, she, she could say no, and she was fine with that. So the adult version of France Gall considered that her career started for real in 1974, and everything that happened before that, then she just felt that she was manipulated and taken advantage of anymore. Then in the late 90s, she made a, a tour where she suddenly started singing some of her old Serge Gainsbourg hits again, and the audience loved it. And I think that France Gall liked it as well, because she seemed very pleased with being able to see, sort of reconcile with her own self and sort of forgive her old self for what she did in her career. Uh, thanks to Michelle Berger, she returned to the large audience in her home country. I'm thinking about Ella, Ella. Yeah. C'est comme toute l'histoire du peuple noir Qui se balance entre l'amour et les espoirs Quelque chose qui danse en toi Si tu l'as, tu l'as That was actually quite late in their collaboration. They had been working together for 13 years already when they did the Babacar album in 1987, I think it was, when Ella Ella became the like a huge smash hit single all over Europe. And I remember, because I'm old enough to remember, uh, when that was heavily played on the radio and almost every time it was played, someone mentioned that this is Franz Gall who won Eurovision like the Eurovision Song Contest 22 years ago. And I remember thinking to myself, ooh, she must be good. I wonder what her Eurovision song sounded like. <laughs> and then I found out and realized that it was a masterpiece. I still think, uh, to me, Popé de Cire, Popé de Son is one of the best songs that ever took part. It's so groundbreaking and so important and, and so well written that the lyrics are so good. Elayla is probably more remembered outside France today with Kate, Kate Ryan. Yes, possibly. How is France Gall remembered in France today? Very fondly. Uh, the thing is that one thing she has in common with many other singers of her generation, the ones who had a breakthrough in the late 50s or, or in the 60s, is that the French audience isn't always very kind uh, to their stars. They, they love their stars, but they don't treat them kindly necessarily. And then once they're gone, they start regretting it. They start regretting being so harsh with them. And that's this 
constant dilemma that the French audience has with their stars. But since Franz Gall retired from the public eye in the late 90s, basically, or like around that time, um, they had the time to sort of rediscover Franz Gall while she was still alive. I think she got a lot of love from her audience while she could still process it and still see it and hear it and feel it from her audience. So um, they are very, they're at a very good place. She's remembered as a, as a quality pop singer of the 60s and definitely a quality performer of the 70s and 80s. Uh, 70 years old, Franz Gall died after a long battle with cancer. What did you think about her win from 1965 later in life? Well, it was important to her because it opened so many doors and it established her. It, it took her to a completely different level. I think that she was always managed to, that she always managed to distinguish that, that even if she was disappointed in Serge Gainsbourg and disappointed in all these people around her who, who, who tricked her into doing things she didn't want to, she still recognized this was important to her. This was, this was what, what made her. If, if she hadn't had the moment at Eurovision, she wouldn't have had the opportunity to have her artistic rebirth in 1974. So the Franz Gall she wanted to be couldn't have existed without this Franz Gall that won the Eurovision Song Contest. So I think she was always, well, maybe not fond of it. I mean, given all the, all the chaos of the winning night and so on. I don't think that she was ever tempted to do it again, but she always recognized that it was important to her and to her career. Did she ever sing Popedicipopedison again? I don't know. I think she might have in some, in some concerts. This, this is just to show that, I mean, her artistic rebirth and everything, but my favorite Franz Gall is the one of the 60s. So I haven't paid close enough attention to know whether she sang it again. Uh, it's, it's not unlikely, maybe at some concert somewhere or some TV show somewhere. Uh, but she, she never made a huge number out of it, Can at least. Can you pick uh, a favorite song from Franz Gall? A favorite song that isn't Popé de Cire, Popé de Son. Mais oui. Uh, I have two. Can I pick two? Yes. Uh, there's one song that uh, Serge Gainsbourg wrote for her, which is uh, Laisse tomber le fille, which is a, a really, really good pop song. Laisse tomber les filles, laisse tomber les filles, un jour c'est toi qu'on laissera. Laisse tomber les filles, laisse tomber les filles, un jour c'est toi qui pleurera. And then there is this fairly unknown song that is called Faut-il que je t'aime, which is a, a really nice little love song about this girl who is, who is crying because her boyfriend left her. So this other boy comes along and takes her for a really nice day and they do all kinds of fun stuff and she keeps singing that all the time that we were having fun, I, it was you that I was thinking of. You were the one who was there and he wasn't. And in the end, this new boy wants a kiss before they, before they part. And she said that, no, I can't kiss you. I'm almost, <laughs> I'm, I'm almost engaged. So he has to leave. 
she's not she's not doing any lip service he gave her a great evening but that's it she won't kiss him because her heart belongs to someone else which is actually quite a statement for yeah. the mid 60s for a young girl singer to say something like that I, I like that attitude that's sort of Franz Gall in a nutshell for me I hope to be able to call on you more times and record tribute episodes to artists who have passed away. Yes, I'd love to. I know that you are an incomparable fountain of knowledge on these topics. Especially with the singers that I... I because there is... I need to underline this. You wouldn't be able to call me and ask something about, let's see, uh, the representative of Monaco in 1965, Marjorie Noel. She's a nice girl. That's all I know of her. I could talk about her and her career for two minutes. But these singers, you know, these singers that has actually left a mark, that actually there is something fascinating about them and there is a career to talk about. I, I, I can't stop digging. I can't stop finding out more things about them. And it's lovely whenever somebody asks about them and I get to talk about them. That's, that's the best. Thank you so much, Tobias. You're welcome. And thanks to you, my dear listeners, now in 121 countries around the world, for letting me do this. I really enjoy when you contact me and bring me ideas, suggestions and feedback on our social media. You find us on Facebook and Instagram and my mail is emil at Maybe you have a suggestion of who we should celebrate next. You might even be the expert I need. So slide into my DMs. Tobias, this was a delight and I see that you already have your wig on and are now fighting with the eyeliner. So just give me a moment and I'll also be ready and we can dance to Popedesi Popedeson in Japanese. Eternally. <laughs> Shit.